The views expressed on Geeks and Beats are those of the participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views of their employers. I am a bit bummed out. Why are you a bit bummed out? Because Glenn A. Larson has died. Some of my favorite TV shows were Glenn A. Larson productions. Well, only one of mine was, and that's the original Battlestar Galactica. But he also did Quincy, he did uh, Magnum P.I. Uh, he was, uh, also did Knight Rider, he did Fall Guy, he did Six Million Dollar Man, died at 77. No more will we see him rip the final sheet from his script out of the typewriter and throw it in the air. That's right, that was his, uh, his big... Uh, he was one of the first guys who had one of those closing animated logo things. Now we have all... Everybody's got one, like Bad Robot and all the rest of them. But yeah, that's right, I forgot. Man, Knight Rider. I miss Knight Rider. No, I don't. I miss Battlestar Galactica. Either version. Is, is that the booze talking? <laughs> that, yes. I uh, am trying something new this week. It is a potato vodka. Uh, I can't remember the name of it, but it was voted best vodka in the world in the last three years, and uh, I don't know why. My wife accused me of sorting the laundry while drunk <laughs> because apparently uh, the light grays and the dark grays are two separate piles. Oh, really? It's news to me. I have no idea. Uh, at the risk of sounding sexist, I have, I'm, 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 I haven't done laundry <laughs> in. Uh, how long have you been married? I've been married twelve years now. Okay, I'm coming up on twenty-five, and we were together for two or three years before that. So, in all honesty, I really haven't done laundry since since 1979 since the the Reagan administration and that, that's <laughs> that's not a that, that's not a an exaggeration right here we go 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 here
All I know is that we normally wouldn't be able to hear it, but the uh, little fillet picked it up and is is relaying it back to us. And it doesn't sound. Um, you got a text message, by the way. I, I did have a text Sorry, message. Sorry, that, that may very well be William know. Shatner. So we we just grind everything to a halt here. No, no, it's not. So yeah, in space, no one can hear you sing, no one can hear you scream. But I mean, if you can you can take all these emanations and transpose them into frequencies that that we can hear. Now, what I find absolutely fascinating is that there are people who are saying, no, this isn't a singing comment. These these aren't random natural sounds. They sound too organized. They sound too coherent. They sound too much like a Giorgio Moroder soundtrack. I think, we think that NASA or the European Space Agency is covering something up. This is a, this isn't necessarily a comet. This is some sort of interstellar vehicle. Uh, it's perhaps uh, trying to talk to us puny humans, but we just can't seem to understand what they're saying. Now, this ties in. Have you heard about this? How about the, the greys are pressuring the, the governments to come clean about aliens among us? No. Are, are we about to, to be revealed to not be alone? Oh, well, apparently there are there are several scientists who have blown the whistle, but we've ignored them, on how aliens have actually been working within us. And there are, I don't know, a couple of dozen of them well-placed in various sources in the U.S. government, um, kind of like, uh, what's his name on, on American Dad, uh, who are pressuring the, the U.S. government and other world leaders to say, look it, um, the planet's going to hell. We really need you to let everybody know that we're here and that we can help. So if you don't organize some sort of coming out party for us, we're going to do it ourselves. And we're going to do it next year. So 2015 is supposed to be the year that the uh, the aliens reveal themselves to us. And some people are saying that, listen, do you think this uh, excursion to a comet is a coincidence or is it tied into this? Ah, I'm really glad to hear that it's 2015 because that's the year my cell phone contract runs out. Well, yeah, and uh, I just need a little better date so I can ring up my American Express card. <laughs> yes, get a little more closer because you have to pay the thing at the end of every month. Well, you do. You don't want to rack up the charges in the wrong month when the aliens are coming to take over. No, so I'm just, okay, hang on. Uh, this is, uh, uh, what comet is this? This is a Chur... Re oh yeah, there's a string K conspiracy. Just oh, see now you're gonna go down a rabbit hole. No, 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 no. It's not because I mean you know we we are talking about geeky things and this could be uh, uh, music involved. So let's let's go. The Rosetta comet singing is actually believed to be a stream of charged particles, which are basically vibrating at that level we were talking at. So they magnified the pitch by a thousand times so that we could hear it. And the more you listen to it, the more I think it's dubstep. It is kind of dubstep. You're right. Uh, so maybe it's the Skrillex comet. <laughs> I'm looking at some photos here. UFO mothership on the moon which is related to a UFO at Comet SP, a 67P Chermanov Gershmenko. Gesundheit. Yes, a von, no von Neumann machine, which is a self-replicating um, spacecraft that... Uh, self-replicating machine that uh, some people say that aliens would use to uh, explore the galaxy simply because nobody could live over that vast amount of time and, and through those vast distances. So this may be a von Neumann machine. 
We need to take the sound of the Rosetta Comet and mix it in with a theremin. Yeah, you know what? There, um, I, I read the book, um, which is called Us Conductors by Shawn Michaels. He's a Scotland-born, Canadian-raised writer. He won the Giller Prize, $100,000, uh, biggest prize in, in, in Canadian fiction. This is a really good book. I'm really not much one for, for singing about book prizes, but this is a, was a really good book about Leon Theremin. It's a fictionalized account of his life uh, moving from the Soviet Union to New York, getting involved in high society, messing around with Theremins, and then ultimately being uh, transported back to the gulags after be falling out of favor with, with Stalin and his people. If you're not familiar with a theremin, it is an instrument that consists of a pair of metal antennas and that sense the relative position of the person who's using it, uh, their hands particularly, the thereminist, and uh, you, it controls the oscillation and the frequency of the sound with one hand and then the amplitude, the volume, with the other. Yep. And he was the guy who invented it, I think it was 1919. And he became a hero of the Soviet Union. He was actually sent around the world with uh, to demonstrate this 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 crazy instrument, um, and uh, this this crazy instrument that as a, as a product of Soviet technology. It really came about at a time when we really didn't know much about electricity, and and basically that's what we were playing around with back in 1920 when it came out on the street was that we, we didn't know what this whole electricity thing was going to do for us, so they just experimented. They did, and uh, you know, if we listen to, I'm trying to think of some songs that have theremin or theremin-like sounds in them. Um, Beach Boys, uh, Good Vibrations has a theremin-ish. It's not exactly a theremin, but it's based on the same principles. People think the Doctor Who theme is a theremin, but it's actually not. It's not? No, that's not actually a theremin used in it. It sounds like it, but it isn't. It's a Moog synthesizer. Or sorry, a Moog synthesizer. The Doctor Who theme, the original Doctor Who theme? The original Doctor Who theme was not done with a theremin. But that was like 1963, and that was before the Moog came out. All right, well, let me look it up on the Intertron. Hang on. I do know that the uh, the break in Led Zeppelin's Whole Lot of Love, that's a theremin. Yeah, I'm on the uh, Wikipedia page, and I've punched in theremin, and I don't get any entries because I misspelled it. Nope, oh. I spelled it correctly now, and still no entries. Yeah, see, I, I the, the, the Doctor Who, the, oh, her name was Daphne... Delia Derbyshire. Yes. And Ron Granier at the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. They created it in 1963, one of the first electronic music signature tunes for television. I read it on the internet, so it must be true. No, that is true. I, that I've, I've actually read an, uh, a proper book on that. A book on the entire Doctor Who theme? Um, on the BBC Radiophonic Workshop. Ah. Are you hooked on the new Doctor Who, by the way? I told you to get into the new season. No, 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 no. No Billy Piper, no Doctor Who. Uh, I hear you. I hear yeah, you. I'm just, uh, I'm sorry. I, I, yeah. It's bigger on the inside. <laughs> That's what Billy Piper said, too. Oh, dude. Yes, I know. Sorry. Oh, 
one of the craptastic mugs of the world's most popular podcast and support the show. You too can use the power of science to hold liquids, both hot or cold. Visit geeksandbeats.com today. You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. You know you've made it when the science community names an animal after you. The rule of scientific nomenclature says that if you discover a new species, you get to name it. Just make sure that you follow the appropriate Latin procedures. And a guy named Pedro Peloso, he's a postdoctoral fellow at the... um, at a university in Brazil. He was tramping through the Amazon rainforest where there were a lot of undiscovered things, and he and his colleagues found a little frog, it's about three quarters of an inch long, who has uh, an overly large vocal sac that makes him pretty loud for his size. Where's the remote? And he's the only frog in existence that makes a sound like a bat. Which explains why he named him after Ozzy Osbourne. That's right. He was not only an Ozzy and Sabbath fan, he also remembered the time when Ozzy bit the head off a bat in 1982. Evidently threw an unconscious bat on the stage, and he thought it was a rubber bat, whatever, and he picked it up and bit the head off. And Sean's going, Tommy, it's real. I'm like, what? So when the little frog was in the lab, they, and he was making its bat sounds, uh, they refer to it as the bat frog, and that led to thinking of Ozzy. So they, they they ended up naming this thing Dentroposophus ozii. So way to go, Ozzy. You got a little tiny frog, uh, the length of your fingernail, your thumb's fingernail, named after you. Way to go. Dendrosiphus ozii. Yeah. Wow. You know, they're trying to get Ozzy knighted. Knighthoods have become fairly cheap after Mick Jagger got his. (laughs) The quality just went downhill after that. Joining us now, leading the charge to get Ozzy Osbourne knighted, is Australia's Helen Mediotis. Helen, good to have you with us. Hi, how are you? Where have we reached you? Uh, Sydney, Australia. Let me ask you this. Why knight Ozzy Osbourne? He's the face of Sabbath. He's um, the pioneer of metal. He's He's been with us like in the music business for over 40 years. Um, he's a global icon now, especially <laughs> with the award that he's just received. He's done so much for the music industry. He um, he created OzFest and launched the careers of many successful bands we have today. And much like the Queen, both of them have bitten heads off doves. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, well, we, have, uh, we have to be careful here. Um, let, let's be serious for, for a moment. Prince Harry is a massive metalhead. There was the story about when he did the uh, the trek across Antarctica, that he loaded his phone or his iPod with all kinds of really intense metal. So he, he you know, if he does ever ascend to the throne, he will be the most metal king ever. That's right. Well, he's going to have to off a few people to make that happen, very Games of Thrones-esque. But having said that, how far along are you in this process? You've got quite a bit of support. sent me a letter uh, from the Cabinet saying that they now have all the forms and uh, whatever else I sent over, including the 21,000-plus signatures I had um, gathered. Um, And they said that they will um, carefully look into this uh, request of mine, so... Fingers crossed. <laughs> All right, can, can we just back up a little bit? What did you have to do? How do you? How does one go about nominating 
a person for a knighthood? Well, all I did was uh, I filled out the forms for, for his nomination. Um, I was supposed to get like like at least two letters of support from people that know of him and know of his work that are like close friends of his, I suppose. Um, that was a major struggle for me. I had a lot of uh, trouble trying to get uh, a lot of the guys that know Ozzy to write a letter for his um, support, the support of the nomination. Well, why, why was that? Because you couldn't find them or was it because they didn't think he needed it? Well, I had contacted um, a few, like Elton John, Brian May, um, Metallica, and uh, I usually got a response like, oh, they're too busy, or like they couldn't help me. Like, And um, yeah, sometimes I didn't get any response. I got Bernie Tomei first, first off, who is the, um, the guy that took over after Randy died um, for a short stint. And people seem to forget forget that he did that, which is quite awesome for somebody in his position to do that. But, um, yeah, he doesn't get a lot of recognition for that. Just for people who don't know, that's one of Ozzy's guitarists. Yeah, yeah. He he um, filled in for that short stint um, and then uh, Sammy Hager took over. And then uh, after that, I the, the next person was uh, Martin Popov, um, who is a rock journalist, critic, uh, He's written um, a few books and stuff, and yeah, he was able to, to write the other letter. Um, I know Martin very well. Martin's a Canadian. I've done work with Martin. Yeah. So how long until we actually find out what's going on here and whether or not he actually gets the nod? Hopefully mid-next year we should start finding out stuff. I'm not really sure when it's going to happen because it's a long process. Uh, speaking of the support letters, I also had a, a major breakthrough with Zach Wild. He um, actually got off stage literally and just um, made time for us and he did the letter. And I'm re- really grateful to him and to Bernie and Martin and to the other two guys that uh, wrote the letter, um, two friends of mine. Um, yeah, they, they were all great. Um, and the more letters I could still, I can still support, like send support letters over to them. Uh, because I said that you can get up to 10 letters. So how do we support your cause? Now that the causes uh, signatures have been sent, I've also started a new one, ipetition, uh, ipetitions.com, uh, Night Ozzy Osbourne Now, um, if you go to that and um, just sign that, because that is especially made for those who missed out on signing the original at causes. So if anyone out there um, knows about this uh, petition and if they could just sign it, they'd be awesome. The ones that didn't get a chance to sign it originally um, so that I I could gather up those signatures. I've got about 50 signatures uh, about there um, to send off, like even more if I can, along with um, other things that he's been doing, like uh, articles where it shows that he's received the Global Icon Award and various other awards that he's received uh, recently and with his um, ex- successful uh, two weeks in a row um, charts, chart-topping success of the Memoirs of a Madman, if, if I could get all that, um, all those articles gathered up as well um, in support of the nomination along with the extra signatures that I get hopefully from my petitions, yeah, that, that's also a plus because they, they still um, don't mind me sending more stuff over to them so that's pretty good i want i want to see this happen i really want to see this happen we'll do what we can to to help you get more support thank you so much for your time helen all the best thank you thank you bye-bye this would be very cool this would be very cool i would like to see whoever it is whether it's uh the queen whether it's uh prince charles whether it's prince harry (laughs) to just (laughs) 
lay that sword on either shoulder. I hereby declare you Sir Ozzy. A knight of the round table. Imagine all the old guys, you know, the old peerages and the guys in the, <laughs> who have descended from nobility from 1054, watching their heads explode. <laughs> It'd be fantastic. You're listening to Geeks and Beats on iTunes, Stitcher, and the Bell Media Radio Network. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. It is the one-year anniversary of two GNB listeners. Oh! Yes, GMB listener Carol Law wants to give her hubby Steve Feek a special anniversary gift one year after they got married. And as we had reported this time last year, they were planning to tie the knot. It's been a year. Who thought they'd last this long? Congratulations. Very nice. So Carol wanted to uh, open her wallet wide, donate the 25 bucks so that her hubby Steve could be the co-producer, get the credit, put it on his uh, LinkedIn page. He can put it on a resume. We'll vouch for him the whole nine yards if he ever needs a gig. Like I said earlier in the podcast, I'm approaching 25 years of marriage. You're at 12 years. So it just shows that that, uh, geeks can have long-lasting relationships. I don't think, though, that Steve ought to suggest that because you made it 25 years without lifting your finger in the laundry department that he can get away with doing the same. Uh, I, that's not what I... No, I would not recommend that in <laughs> today's day and age. Um, no, please, no. Don't, no, no. Do not hold that against me. All right, so as a man with a quarter century of marriage under his belt, what is your best advice to Carol and Steve? My best advice to Steve is don't try and solve her problems. Just listen to her because women don't want you to solve their problems. They just want you to know how they feel. That's the most important thing I've learned. It took me about 22 years to figure that out. I like to take my problems and and compress them into a dark black ball in my stomach, and they're fine there. Women don't like to do that. Don't try and get them to do it. Trust me. Science says that there are two basic traits necessary for the success of a couple. Do you know about this? Yes! Had a headline and I skipped right past it. You, you didn't need to know it, did you? Well, just in case I was doing it wrong. Ah, uh, according to this article, which actually of all things comes out of businessinsider.com, uh, pointing out that every uh, day in June, the most popular wedding month of the year, 13,000 American couples get married. And of course, more than half of them don't work. And often those that still stick together, it's just an awful situation. And so what they did was they reported on this interesting study out of the Gottman Institute. Uh, renowned experts on marital stability were devoted over the last 35 years or so uh, to figuring out what it takes to build and maintain a loving, healthy relationship. Uh, they gathered their findings back in 1986 after setting up the Love Lab, Ooh, which doesn't sound... Kind of sounds creepy. Sounds a little creepy. Probably not as sexy as you might think a love lab would be. And uh, when it came down to it, what they were talking about is how you interact with your spouse is the primary determinant as to whether or not your relationship succeeds. For example, they point out that you know, the the husband who's into birds is looking out the window and he sees a, a particular bird and he says, honey, come see this. 
And what's happening in that relationship is the husband wants to share something that's important to him with his wife. How the wife responds is critical to helping determine whether or not that relationship has a hope in hell of succeeding. If you get a response back of, I'm busy, I'm reading, then you're screwed. But if you're willing to um, encourage and participate in the relationship, whether or not it's something that actually particularly interests you, um, is a critical component to the success of, of that. So people who turn toward their partners in the study responded by engaging the bidder, the, the person who puts this thing out there, and they support the bid, they show interest in it. Those that didn't who turned away uh, were more likely to end up uh, getting a divorce down the road. Wow, I drifted off about three minutes ago and I'm just coming back. Our relationship is doomed. <laughs> yeah, I think it probably is. Couples who had divorced after a six-year follow-up had the turn toward bias only 33% of the time. Those who still were married had a turn towards bias 87% of the time. Nine times out of the ten, they were meeting their partner's emotional need. There we go. And that goes back to my idea, my thesis, that women don't want their problems solved. They just want you to listen to them. Guys will consider this whining. Women will consider this sharing. Just remember that. Contempt, according to the article, is the number one factor that tears couples apart. <laughs> oh, wait. Did I, did I just uh, betray something? Yes. Yeah, maybe okay. just a little? Just a little bit. Okay. Should I be feeling insecure here? Uh, Does this podcast only have a six-year shelf life? No, 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 no. no. There's at least seven. Well, and then you get the itch and you start doing podcasts with other people behind my back. <laughs> yeah, with different people and I don't tell you. People who are focused on criticizing their partners miss 50% of the positive things their partners are doing and they see negativity when it's not there. Okay. I think you're giving me the cold shoulder. I am giving the cold shoulder. I got nothing, I got nothing to offer on this. I mean, again, you know, when you've been married as long as I have... You just kind of go with it. And uh, I've, I've seemed to either have reached a level of indifference or I've just perfected my ability to get along with my spouse and I don't need any more tips. Well, then fine. Maybe we'll talk about something you want to talk about. <laughs> you know who we sound like? Who? Bernadette and uh, Howard on, on Big Bang Theory. My, his mom just died. I know. Mrs. Wallowitz is dead. What are they going to do about the voice? See, the question becomes, does uh, Laurie actually carry on with the character? Because anybody can imitate Mrs. Wallowitz. What are you doing here? I thought you moved out. Oh, yeah, I was going to. And then Debbie and I got to talking over dinner the other night. I didn't have any place to go. She likes having me around. So we both said, why leave at the same time? <laughs> this is precious. <laughs> Precious. <laughs> I'd like to back you up, but it sounds like it was pretty precious. Stewie, I can't find my glasses. You mean you can find somebody that has a, a similar vocal quality, or you know, given the whole relationship, the arc of the relationship that Howard has with his mom, you you know, maybe maybe she does pass on. Maybe they do kill off the character and then Howard and Bernadette will have to find uh, new ways to, you know, deal with their relationship. I don't know. What's the name of the guy who's living with uh, Mrs. Wallowitz and or banging her? Uh, Hang on for a second. That's the third text message we've yeah, gotten Yeah, I know. Here. I'm a busy guy. You're a busy guy. Can you not put it on the... Uh, see, here we are. We're Now, now we're okay. big. <laughs> uh, the Big Bang Theory itself um, that Chuck Lorre built, what, what's the name of the character that, that's living with his mom? 
Yeah, it's the comic book store guy. Uh, and I can't think of his name. Anyway, they seem to be getting along very, very well. And he would be devastated. See, this if you let Mrs. Wallowitz die, then that brings that character's story arc into question. And what does he do? It's interesting. Stuart Bloom, that's his character. Stuart, that's right. Played by Kevin Sussman. Right, exactly. What is he going to do? His comic book shop burned down. Yeah. He's got nowhere to go. Nope. Um, the character is a graduate of the Rhode Island School of Design. Who, the uh, Stuart? Did you know that? The comic book guy? Yes, not the actor, Kevin Sussman. The character. Talk about it, an extensive backstory. I didn't know that. Well, that's interesting. Well, okay, well, we'll see what happens. During Stewart's first appearance, the guys bring Penny along to the store, and he manages to ask her on a date. They go out a few times until Penny mistakenly calls him Leonard while they're making out. Did I miss that episode? Yeah, I don't remember that one either. Excuse me. Oh, hello again. Hi. Uh, what would you recommend as a present for a 13-year-old boy? Uh, 13-year-old girl. <laughs> but if you're dead set on a comic book, try this. Oh, Hellblazer, what's this about? A morally ambiguous confidence man who smokes, has lung cancer, and is tormented by the spirits of the undead. <laughs> Well, if that doesn't make me the favorite aunt, I don't know what will. <laughs> Is this me? Depends. Do you like it? Wow, it's really good. Yes, that's you. <laughs> that's so sweet. But what if I didn't like it? It'd still be you, but I'd feel like an idiot. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I still have to come back to the fact that you weren't interested in our relationship conversation. <laughs> Maybe it's like uh, Howard and Raj. They have the same sort of issues. They go to couples counseling every once in a while. <laughs> you know what? There, there's some no, no, real... No, we're done here. I, I do not wish to discuss oh, okay. this with you any further. <laughs> you know, and I... Okay, who, which one's Howard? Which one's Raj? You're probably Howard. I'm probably Raj because I got a dog. Yeah, and I got the big nose. <laughs> Be the only cool kid at work with a G&B ceramic coffee mug. Run the rest of the road warriors into a ditch of envy with your miracle travel mug of traveling. Or make the kid who takes your coffee order swoon with lust over your sporty G&B fall jacket. Visit geeksandbeats.com slash swag and open your wallet. Got a question about music, love, that suspicious rash? Ask Alan anything. Call 323-319-NERD. Hey guys, this is Jesse from Winnipeg. Uh, for my Ask Alan Anything question, Alan, how come most of the songs I hear on a local radio station, uh, which I don't want to name, it's not all the songs, but my ears tell me something's wrong sound like a poorly encoded mp3 what are your thoughts thanks because most of them are <laughs> here's what happens uh radio stations don't play vinyl anymore they don't play compact discs anymore they play something off a, a hard drive playback system which is really like a glorified itunes usually they're what, what radio stations try to do is encode um, all their music as wave files, but that takes a long time, and over years you get kind of sloppy. So you may have some wave files, you may have some MP2 files, and you may have some MP3 files of various uh, bit rates. 
And the problem that we have is, and I'm going to guess that you listen to a rock station. The problem is that a lot of rock and pop these days is already super, super compressed at the wave file stage. So when you put it into, when you convert it to an MP3, it gets even more compressed. And then radio stations, especially FM radio stations, uh, have a compressor as well. Oh, for God's sake. You know, you know your, your phone does have a do not disturb feature. Yeah, I'm, I'm putting it there. It's off. This relationship will never go anywhere. No, no, nowhere. And radio stations have uh, a signal compressor themselves. So here's the situation. You have an analog performance in a studio, which is then slightly compressed into a digital format. That is then sent for mastering where additional compression is applied. Then that WAV file, it's still in a WAV file format, is distributed, whether that be on CDs or through digital distribution nodes. And then it could be encoded or it could be um, loaded directly into the digital playback system, or it may go through an MP3 encoding before that. For example, if a radio station needs something for their library, they can't get it, they buy it off iTunes, so they get it in the AAC format instead of FLAC or anything like that. Which they have to compress again. Which they have to compress again into an MP3 file, which they load into their hard drive system, which they then broadcast over the air using yet even more compression. So there were two, three, four, maybe five levels of compression that go on this song. So, yeah, basically what you're listening to in in some cases, and it's unavoidable because of all the time constraints and all the issues involved with hard drive playback systems with radio, you are listening to badly compressed MP3s. Back in the mid-90s, a buddy of mine decided he was going to convert his CD library into MP3, and he used an MP3 encoder that had a bug in it. Oh, no. Every 60 seconds, there was a click, and he didn't notice it until about three weeks later when he finally started listening to the MP3s. How many songs, how many CDs had he had he, had he encoded by that time? About 2,000. Oh, God, no. Yeah. Uh, what do you encode your songs at? I tend to encode it at 196 or 192. I don't know which. Per channel? I have no idea. I just set the primary settings. And by and large, I don't have to do it myself anymore because most of my music is purchased now. Yeah. I don't have anything that, that's ripped off CD. That, that, that was done a long time ago. For example, this show is recorded in the 192 um, uh, kilohertz, is it? Uh, bit, no, it's uh, kilobits per second kilobits per second and we upload it in an mp3 format which makes the files fairly large for example this show is about 100 megabytes on your iphone i apologize mm. that's still not bad for that's 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 standard for a lot of podcasts somewhere between 100 and 125 megabytes it's not bad you going to get this new Rolling Stones picture book for Christmas? Well, this is rather interesting. There's three levels of Rolling Stone picture books. There's a $150 one, there's a $5,000 one, and then there's the limited edition art print one that runs for $10,000. I think there's only 75 of those. And they're obviously designed to be collector's items, and they're the kind of people who buy rare books and, and display them on you know, very expensive shelving. Um, I'm not a big Rolling Stone fan. I know a couple of the photographers that were involved, like Ethan Russell, um, I did some work with Ethan, Ethan Russell a little while ago. And I mean, it's, I'm sure it's beautiful, but I'm not that much of a Rolling Stone fan to spend $150 on a coffee table book. Let and alone I, five grand. Well, they come with uh, lithographs and art prints and a bunch of other things. I mean, the books themselves, they're published by a, a company called Tashin, mm -hmm. which uh, specialize in this, these really high-end you know, pieces of art is what they really are. And, but I'm, I'm, I'm just not that kind of a collector. I wouldn't care for a $10,000 Rolling Stone book. 
According to the article that you've uh, linked to here, Billboard.com, the Stones recognized the power of the camera right from the start with the UK cover of their first album, 1964's England's Newest Hitmakers. Yeah, everybody will say that about the Rolling Stones. Everybody will say about that about any band. But... The Rolling Stones were around at a time, and the Beatles were around at a time, when you had a lot of young mag- maverick photographers uh, who were given all kinds of access to this band in an era when serious journalist photographers had no interest in taking any of these photographs. So a guy like Ethan Russell, who could come over from the U.S. with a decent Canon or a decent Nikon and just ask if he could photograph the Rolling Stones or the Beatles, and they would say yes. Uh, gave these people a tremendous leg up, and they took some absolutely fantastic pictures, not because they were necessarily famous at the time, but because they were the they were peers. They were they were artists who, uh, for whatever reason, appealed to the sensibilities of, of of the subjects, and they were they were given access. It just that sort of thing just doesn't happen anymore. Foo Fighters, meantime, has got this new album, and you're asking, is this really about the album? What do you mean? Well, here's what I think. Uh, Unless you're Taylor Swift, nobody is going to sell albums in platinum numbers anymore. Here's my thought. The Foo Fighters management company, very smart people, Silva Artist Management of Los Angeles, they they sat down and said, look, we're not going to sell an awful lot. We're not going to make all our money on selling albums anymore. So what we're going to do is we're going to make an album. And that will be the means to a variety of ends. One of the um, ends will be a TV series that we can produce with David Letterman's Worldwide Pants Company and sell to HBO around the world and make money from that. The other thing that the album will do is give us a reason to go on tour once again. And the Foo Fighters make a tremendous amount of money from playing live and selling merchandise. So the album itself, not all that interesting, not all that important in the grand scheme of things. It's certainly certainly when you compare it to where, you, where things were, say, 1995 or 1996, uh, it is this excuse to be able to do all these other things. Now, if you listen to the album on its own, it's an okay album, but it sounds more like a companion soundtrack to the eight-part HBO series. When you watch the HBO series and you hear all the songs and see how all the songs go together and how they all came together, well, that makes uh, all kinds of sense and the songs sound better. But detached from the series, they're just a bunch of songs. And there's only, you know, two, maybe three songs that'll be good for singles on that. The rest are kind of adrift without them being attached to the visuals of the HBO series. So the album itself, not as important as it used to be, but it is something that says, hey, the Foo Fighters are back in business for this cycle. And part of this cycle features uh, a big TV show um, and all kinds of uh, live shows. And uh, if you buy the album, well, great. If you don't, well, it doesn't matter because... We're still going to be in your face. I think the Foo Fighters have reached the same stage of their career that U2 has. When you go to a U2 show, you don't necessarily want to hear anything from the new album. All you want to hear are the big hits from their giant repertoire. Foo Fighters are the same thing. You don't necessarily want to hear too much from the new album. You want to hear all the great songs from the last 20 years. And I think they know that. And I think they're making this transition into a band that uh, uses an album as... uh, 
a means to an end. See, this is the problem, is Dave Grohl seems far too smart, seems far too much of a nice guy. Uh, and, and I love that. Unfortunately, there's not a lot of fodder associated with that, so the guy's got to use his big brain to come up with alternative ways to get attention outside of selling platinum album status uh, records at a million at a time. You've re- listed this brief history of rock stars and air rage. He's never going to be on it. No. No, he's, he's not. I noticed, though, Courtney Love is on it, what, three times, twice? <laughs> there was a period of time uh, where, where Courtney was a bit um, unpredictable. These were air rage incidents that never really amounted to much, but did make the papers. Uh, the big ones, the big air rage ones were um, Ian Brown of the Stone Roses, where he ended up uh, actually being sentenced to four months in prison for making threats against, allegedly, well, making threats against a cabin crew on a British Airways flight from London to Manchester. And Peter Buck from REM, who kind of went a little crazy on a British Airways flight from Seattle to London, where he overturned a cart and spread yogurt all over the place and basically lost his mind after having a little bit of too too much red wine with some Ambien. We learned recently that Dolores O'Riordan was arrested this week over an alleged air air rage incident. Yeah, she was flying in business class from JFK to Shannon in Ireland, and uh, apparently something... Uh, went very, very wrong in the business class uh, cabin on on descent and on taxiing, and then she was met by security when the plane finally reached the gate. She apparently headbutted the guy that was trying to take her into custody and then spit at him. Uh, and but before that, she stomped on the foot of a air hostess so hard that she broke the woman's foot and she had to be taken to hospital. Uh, when she was taken into custody, she was held for 24 hours, apparently in a hospital. So we don't know what's going on. She's been released without charge, but we the the investigation is, con- is continuing, so we don't really know where this is going to end up. Doesn't she live around the corner from you? Uh, she used to. With uh, She had a, a Don Burton, who's her husband, who is uh, about 6'6". He's huge. He used to be the road manager for Duran Duran, and uh, he's the manager and, and basically the uh, her manager. And uh, Don is a very large man. Um, so to see them side by side is rather, you know, kind of comical almost. I, I've, I've got a thing for, for women who are all wrong for me, and I thought Dolores O'Riordan was one of the good ones. Apparently, you can see a connection between how crazy someone is and how thin their eyebrows are. <laughs> That's okay. She can stomp on my foot anytime. <laughs> yeah. Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com. The Geeks and Beats podcast would like to thank the National Science Foundation.